0: The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. We couldn't speak to Beverly MacArthur live this morning because she's currently in Payak, and I'll get her to explain what Payak is for those that don't know but also to explain what Payak is looking at today um, so I caught up with her last night for a conversation and I began by asking her about the difficulties for the opposition in getting their message out over the last week because of the Tim Smith situation.
1: Uh, well look um, a week's a long time in politics Mitch and uh, we'll be concentrating on the deficiencies of the Labour government as I tried to do ever since I've entered this place.
0: He said that some people in the party were encouraging him to recontest Q, while others like the leader of the opposition were not. We have to ask, of course, uh, were you one of the people encouraging him to continue or to not recontest his seat?
1: I made no comment on the matter, Mitch, and I never or try never to comment on the personal circumstances of others. It was for Tim uh, to make his own decision and he's made it.
0: In terms of the COVID situation, there's a lot of talk about the legislation coming before the Upper House. I believe that will be this week. We spoke to Andy Medic on the program last week who said that this legislation offers even more transparency and independence than the old legislation, the set of emergency powers. He said that's the case because of this new committee which offers some oversight. So should we feel like this legislation is bringing us more transparency in how the government manages COVID outbreaks in the future?
1: Um, you, you, you needed to probably ask Andy Medic, what was he getting for all his votes to, uh, with the government? Uh, because, uh, you know, he, he might as well be in the Labor Party because I don't ever see him uh, defying the government. I don't think anybody uh, wants to give this government more power or continued power. And as for uh, Mr Medic's uh, proposition that there's going to be more ta- transparency, uh Any oversight body is government controlled, so no, there won't be more transparency or more opportunity for anybody uh, to get involved. And indeed, why does he need more powers? Uh, Why does he need any powers? We've had enough of this government locking us up and shutting us out.
0: So the government and indeed crossbench MPs that you would assume are going to support the government in this legislation are saying people that talk down about this legislation are conspiracy theorists, they're trying to scare the public. How do you respond to that?
1: Um, Well, they've got to justify to their constituents why they think this government, which has delivered more adverse outcomes for the people of Victoria than any other Australian... Melbourne is the most locked down city in the world. Uh, Fiona Patton and Samantha Ratton, who I am assume are going to vote for this legislation, along with Mr. Medic, uh, they, their constituents in the towers in inner Melbourne were locked down at no notice whatsoever. Um, you know, people in those towers needed medication. They couldn't get it. Oh, uh, it, it was extraordinary episode. And they're the people that are going to support uh, this legislation. Well, I wonder what the voters will think come November 22.
0: So in your view, and the opposition's view, why should people be concerned about this legislation? What are the key issues that you have with it?
1: Well, the key issues are that Daniel Andrews himself will have even more power.
0: And explain how that's different to the current situation.
1: Well, uh, the the Chief Health Officer and the, the Health Minister have some sort of say and it's based on some sort of evidence. But this this actually centralises power in the hands of the Premier. So
0: how would you design legislation to manage pandemics which may arise in the future? How would the government uh, do it under your model?
1: Uh, well, for a start, uh, we wouldn't employ uh, untrained private security the, the this this whole problem was a was one of logistics, really, and we shut down the expert people who are involved in, logistic, in logistics from March 2020, and they're the people in the events industry. They do hotel quarantine, they do collect people from airports, they sort out uh, all sorts of personal details, they run events for thousands, they set up cities almost in 24 hours. They could have done. The management of this whole operation, whether it was hotel quarantine, uh, testing, tracing, uh, even the rollout of vaccinations, far more efficiently, effectively and transparently than a a bunch of untrained bureaucrats in the the Melbourne CBD head office have done. So, you know, you would actually have people that knew what they were doing running these things quarantine for example is not something new been around for a a very long time there was you know always a quarantine station here in victoria uh, in the early days so quarantine is an important aspect of how we do things and we've just managed it very badly compared to the other states as well
0: If the government wants to call lockdowns or pandemics or sort of states of emergency around pandemics in the future, would you like to see that come before Parliament? Should it always be a vote of Parliament that determines what happens?
1: Uh, It should, uh, absolutely, Mitch. Uh, But also what happened in this situation was Daniel Andrews abandoned the normal process of government. So there wasn't uh, a Cabinet, working under the normal circumstances I mean the Prime Minister didn't do that um, so a gang of eight virtually ran, ran the place um, and you'd have to ask Gavin Jennings why I think when he was told that he immediately resigned from Parliament um, so that that sort of safety in numbers of the Westminster system and, and the way Cabinet works under a Westminster system was abandoned uh, and I think you know, many of the mistakes that were made here in Victoria would probably not have been made if, if all Cabinet was sitting around the table making the decisions. So I think you shouldn't abandon that process either, uh, as well as making sure that, that the Parliament uh, have oversight. But, of course, in this uh, government in Victoria, uh, they insisted through the Parliament, because of their numbers, that the various committees that could scrutinise this, like PAC, Uh, which I'm on now and will be meeting tomorrow, um, are are government-controlled. You know, the federal committee is not government-controlled that they set up. Um, So, you know, they they want total control over everything, whether it's the oversight or the um, application of what they're doing. And I think that's what's a worry for most Victorians.
0: And you mentioned PAYAC, and that's why we're not doing this interview live, why it's been recorded on Sunday night. Um, what is PAYAC, just for the benefit of the listeners, and can you explain what's on the agenda for tomorrow?
1: Yeah, well, it's the Public Accounts and Estimates Committee, and it is the opposition, I mean, the opportunity uh, for the opposition plus uh, crossbench members, and it's uh, across the two chambers, um, to question uh, ministers, on, on the occasions this week it's uh, the uh, heads of departments, um, about um, how they're operating and I mean we're questioning the, the Secretary of the Department of Treasury and Finance tomorrow, the Secretary of the Department of Health Health, and the, uh, the parliamentary offices. So uh, these departments come before PAYAC uh, and they have to answer questions about Uh, the way they've administered taxpayer funds.
0: Now, I see over the weekend there's been talk about a code red situation with ambulances, which suggests that there's an ambulance shortage, and I think there's even been a call on the public that if you don't desperately need an ambulance to try and hold off. What's going on here? Is it because of COVID numbers getting out of control or something else?
1: Well, this government, which has been in power, for 17 of the last 20 years, more or less, or longer, um, is totally incapable of managing the health system, uh, managing the ambulance system. I mean, what a fundamental disgrace that they haven't got a system whereby all the hospital beds that they promised would come online haven't, clearly. Um, Of course, they don't have the staff to manage them, even if they produce beds. Uh, but now we've got this situation that's been brewing for quite some time. I mean, it was, wasn't too good before COVID, exacerbated now, uh, where where ambulances are ramping, which is meaning they're having to stand by at hospital emergency departments because, you know, they can't deliver uh, patients, but also they can't... We've had the issue of them not even being able to answer the, the 000 calls and now... Um, you know, you, you, you can't get an ambulance. It's a shocking state of affairs and Daniel Andrews wants more power. He, he can't manage the absolute basics of how we run a state properly uh, as it is. And really, the people of Victoria should think twice about what he is doing.
0: Seven years ago, the 2014 election was really fought on ambulances as one of the issues. I'm sure you remember the signs scrawled on ambulances, I think, by the relevant union at the time. Are ambulances better now in 2021 than what they were in 2014?
1: Well, if they're better, and I have no issue with how the ambulances professionally carry out their tasks. But clearly, there obviously aren't enough of them. Uh, or enough staff so what's been happening maybe maybe they're all the way with Dan hasn't quite worked out as they thought.
0: It's 16 minutes past nine. We're in conversation with Beverly Macarthur, a conversation that I recorded last night because she's in Payak today and wasn't able to do the interview live. We'll take a break. Coming up after the break, we'll go into uh, part two where we had a conversation around bushfire preparedness and also how Western Victoria was responding to the storm damage. It seems like it was another weekend of somewhat wild weather, not quite to the extent that it was the weekend before, which saw a lot of damage and power outages, but uh, there have been some real challenges for Western Victoria. Oh, and also the uh, Brumby cull, which is an issue we've sort of been following on from the sides, but apparently they were getting that underway last week. Until 11, Mitchell's front page on 94.7 The Pulse. And I recorded a conversation with Western Victoria Liberal MP Beverly Macarthur last night and we'll go back into that conversation now and uh, I continue the conversation by talking about the storm damage that we've received I mean if you have a look at the performance of this state we've been absolutely wounded by the pandemic we've had an earthquake and now these incredible storms on the weekend where we were to open up which meant for a lot of businesses they had to delay opening up causing even more anguish so how has Western Victoria responded to the Storm damage.
1: You know what the the storm damage does demonstrate is the fact, especially when it takes out power, uh, of how we actually deliver power in in this state. And you know, I I went past a power line uh, or a power pole uh, on the Princess Highway just the other day, uh, which had just broke, snapped off, broken in half. And then I did put a post up on social media and one diligent constituent actually put the post up of the fire that took place the minute the, the wires hit the ground. So it, it raises the question, of as I have done, about the safety of power um, in this state because the safety and the deliverance of it. Because if you... You know, the one thing people should expect... Is to be able to turn a switch and get the power, They'll ring up an ambulance and get an ambulance. Need a hospital bed, get a hospital bed. These are basic services that the government should provide, and I do think we have to consider how we uh, transmit power, and not only in huge transmission lines that are going to be needed, crisscrossing the state, will look like Hanoi, uh, but in the in the power lines that. Uh, you know, connecting towns and communities along roadsides and uh, major highways, for that matter, and and maybe we do have to think about how we do things better. And clearly, some of this power really should go underground.
0: Well, I see you've been talking about that. Do you know how much it would cost to bury power lines? Because it sounds like no, quite an oh, expensive undertaking. Oh.
1: That's the issue, uh, Mitch, and everybody says, oh, goodness, it'll just cost way too much. But what is the cost of communities being without power for weeks? What is the cost of restaurants who've spoken to me who had to chuck out all their food they had? You know, they're just getting back on their feet. Next minute, they don't have power. Their generators didn't last long enough. Food goes out in the bin. Um, You know, we've got and what's the cost of fire that's caused by a uh, power line? Now this, this, light, this power pole that snapped in half and caused a fire, we were just lucky it's this time of the year. The grass is lush, green and damp and the fire brigade got there quickly and they're easily able to put it out. But that's exactly what happened in the St. Patrick's Day fires in 2018. Electrical elements uh, fell over in high winds and... The other major problem is the fact that um, roadside vegetation is completely out of control and you've got this metre-high grass and you've got blackberries and where they did burn in 2018, nobody's cleared the dead wood away. The blackwood uh, sucklings have come up at at the rate of millions and uh, we're just another bushfire waiting to happen. Now, if we can't keep these public places safe, whether, you know, roadsides and power distribution, then there's something radically wrong in a uh, civilised country and society that we live in.
0: The state government's been sending us media releases about how they're preparing for bushfire season this year. Are you concerned about the bushfire season this year, given how lush it is out there and how much potential fuel there is?
1: Absolutely, Mitch. And I've been on inquiries lately where, you know, those on the left... Do not want any fuel load reduction. I don't even like, you know, the sort of coal burning that you know the Aboriginal community are famous for. Uh, they just don't want uh, the fuel loads reduced, and um, because they don't want, in one inquiry, the clear air quality inquiry, they don't want smoke. Well, they get an awful lot of smoke if you have a dreadful bushfire, and. In the ecosystems inquiry, the the greatest damage you can do to the natural environment is to have an intense bushfire. If you don't reduce the fuel loads, uh, you're going to have a very intense bushfire and you burn the tree canopies. Uh, Reducing the fuel loads mean that you reduce the fuel load at the ground level, but you never touch the canopies. And, uh, you know, we've just got absolutely nonsense people uh, with views that come out of inner a, in a urban Melbourne who really have no idea what it's like, as I say, outside the tram tracks. And, yeah, I am really worried about uh, the the forthcoming season. If we have a lot of hot, dry weather, we were lucky last season we didn't. Last summer we didn't particularly. Um, We could be in shocking trouble because we're not allowed to graze roadsides. You can't clear it because there's now so many trees everywhere that have shot up. Um, And then somebody will worry about a bit of native grass. Well, I can tell you there won't be any native grass left if the fire burns it.
0: A Brumby cull update? Has the actual cull began?
1: Uh, well, again, this government operate under total secrecy. As we understand it, uh, there, there probably are Brumbies that have been shot, uh, left to die. Um, it, you know, they've not. N- normally, when a, a government sets out to poison vermin or shoot it, they actually let the public no because these are public spaces they're doing all this in um and so but we understand you know that they they are uh have a plan for eradication in in areas uh and uh i'm sure it's going ahead uh I'd be surprised if it's in. it isn't because they're determined to do it
0: and just finally this month marks one year to go until the next state election 2022 How do you feel at this point of the election cycle?
1: Well, I wouldn't be in this game, Mitch, if I wasn't the eternal optimist. And I'm certainly a glass half half full person. There are no problems, only opportunities in my world. And I can't believe that people would think that Daniel Andrews should be re-elected after what he's done to them, closed off children to playgrounds. How do you do that? He forced people to wear masks out in the country roads or on a country street. Lock people down for months on end. You know, curfews in houses for 23 hours a day. We'd think somebody, you know, in Barwon Prison might be a serious uh, offender if they were locked up for 23 hours a day. He's locked up innocent citizens and we've got up until... Just now, we've had extraordinary scenes of people trying to put their point of view about lockdowns and masks and mandates and so on, uh, met with considerable force. Uh, I never saw that happening to Black Lives Matter or Extinction Rebellion, I must say. And
0: when we get our Upper House ballot paper for Western Victoria next year, will we be seeing the name Beverly MacArthur
1: on there? Well, I, I hope so, Mitch, but that's up to my party.
0: Well, thank you very much for joining us. We'll catch up with you one more time for 2021 next month. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mitch. 28 minutes past nine. uh, The conversation I recorded with uh, Beverly MacArthur, Western Victoria Liberal MP last night because she's sitting in payak today. The Mitchell's Front Page podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11.